If you have a Bible this morning, and I do hope you do, open to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll get... And uh, uh, a couple more announcements, believe it or not, that as I was standing over there, I wanted to share a couple things. Um, November 25th, uh, Autumn Marble and Tracy Chiricus as wanting to put together kind of a craft thing for kids, any kids that would be interested in coming. Uh, Two to six is the time on that. And so Tracy is not with us this morning, but if you have any questions on that or you would like to be a part of that, it is completely free. Uh, It's for kids of various ages. Um, And I think there's even going to be a nursery type. Uh, Yeah, okay, so nursery will be available. And uh, so this is something they just kind of, in the last few weeks, they talked about doing and uh, giving some kind of a thing uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. If any parents want to go out and do some shopping and things, a chance to kind of bring the kids up to the church, drop them off at 2 o'clock, go have a little afternoon, and then kind of come back and pick them up at 6 o'clock. And so if you would like to be a part of that or have your kids be a part of that, please see Autumn today and just let her know. So she can start figuring out kind of a head count of how many kids we're looking at. And uh, we look forward to that as well. Also want to say, um, if you are here and you have served at any time or are serving in any branch of our armed forces, we'd like to recognize you and appreciate your service. And so if you would do us the favor of please standing. If you are currently or have served in any number of our armed forces, please stand. Let's give them a hand this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. We celebrate Veterans Day here, and uh, we do appreciate uh, so many men and women that have given their lives for our freedoms we hold so dear in this country, uh, freedoms as though we are or like being able to gather together here today. And so we do appreciate your service to our country. And so also I want to say um, I, I just really enjoyed Gary's song. Anybody else enjoy that? And here's something... Wow, we're just in the class. Sure, go ahead. Here's kind of what I took from that. I don't know if anybody else heard this. Maybe Mike Haynes got this. Um, what I heard from that was we need a men's quartet. Is that kind of what you, anybody else got that? Did anybody else hear? That's kind of what he was alluding to. Like, we don't have one, so I got to, like, digitally create one. And so, um, so cool, though, what those guys in the sound booth did to make that work. And so um, I'm just going to throw it. I said something to somebody else while we we're doing the great time. I said, sounds like we need a men's quartet. And they said, well, are you volunteering? And I said, I'll listen, but that's about it, you know. I mean, and any of you that are like, oh, you could do it, just go spend 30 seconds talking to Pastor Keith about my singing abilities, and he will very greatly encourage, I cannot do it. So, no, just kidding. Uh, no, but we would really like to see, obviously, if, if that's something that you're interested in. I was really sitting, sitting there thinking about this, and I was thinking, man, that would be a really cool thing to kind of put together. And so if there's any guys here, um, or even ladies that want to put a group together or something, we would love to talk to you more about that. And so just talk to me after service today, or if it's on your heart, something you're thinking about, we would love to talk to you more about what that might look like moving forward. And so we're so excited for that uh, opportunity to possibly get something going. So anyway, so this morning, here's what I want to get into. And uh, I've been really praying about this this week a lot. Um, and during this week, it kind of changed gears a little bit with what we were going to be talking about this morning. Um, and, and really, honestly, it's because of what happened a week ago today. And I felt as though we as a church needed to address this issue. Um, it's not the first situation we've come across like this. It won't be the last. But I wanted to, as a church, <clears throat> excuse me, look into how do we as a church, how do we as Christians respond to what happened last Sunday in Texas? How do we respond to this type of a situation? Last Sunday, 
we heard the tragic news that a man walked into Sutherland First Baptist Church in Texas and took 26 lives, wounded over 20 others. The church communities this week have felt this ripple through every congregation. And many people had questions about their own safety, even at church. Many others prayed and cried out to God for this church and their members. So this morning, we're going to kind of do service just a little bit differently. When we have our invitation at the end of our service, many of you guys know every service we try to on Sunday mornings have a time for you to respond to what God is doing. I know a lot of churches, maybe they don't do invitations anymore, and that's fine. We do it solely because we want to give you a chance to physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually respond to what God may be doing in your life. And for me, there's something about just separating away from everyone else, getting on my knees, and it's just stairs up here, right? This isn't more holy than your chairs. We get on our knees, and we just cry out to him about whatever we're going through. And I don't know why, but for me and for many others, it seems putting that action with that cements that into my spiritual life. It makes that a a decision that I'm going to hold on to. And so here's what we're going to do at the end of the service today. We're going to take a little bit longer for the invitation. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to gather together whoever would like to. You don't have to, but if you would like to come in just a little bit, and we're going to get on our knees, and we're just going to pray for a few things. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Texas right now that are meeting, by the way. They're meeting in a community building next to their church building. Somebody told me this morning, they already have someone donating either money or land or whatever's needed for a new building for them. Because they're going to tear the existing building down and turn it into like a memorial. Here's the part this week when I heard that, and I was reading that little article, and I've not read everything about it. And and I'm not even going to get into the motivations of the individual that took the lives. Because really that's not irrelevant, but it's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is how do we respond to what happened a week ago? How do we as a church, how do we as Christians, those that followers of Christ, how do we respond in comparison to how the world would respond? And I think there is a lot of emotions that run through us, a lot of thoughts that run through our minds when we hear these things. And maybe this week you've seen your thoughts progress down different avenues. But here's the part I want to really instill in us before we even get going in this message is they are meeting today. And here's the kicker. They don't have to. If they skip service today because of just the emotional situation, the tragedy, there's not one person on this planet that would say, yeah, they're wrong in doing that. Every single person would say, well, yeah, they're completely justified. And then we'll say this, they don't have to go to church anyway. So then why are they doing that? Why are they gathering together after a tragedy like that when they don't have to and everybody would be okay if they didn't? Because when you're a follower of Christ and you're connected to a community of faith in the local church, there's a bond there. And you just desire to be with God's people. And I've been saying it for a long time in my own Christian life and in the lives of the American church. It just turns my stomach how quickly so many Christians will disregard church. The bride of Christ will just throw that aside for convenience and comfort and whatever other excuses we want to throw in there because America says it's okay. But these people, 
You know, when I was reading this, what I was thinking of? I was thinking of stories I've read in books back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. There was a, a music group, DC Talk, that put out two books called Jesus Freaks, uh, one and two. Um, I have a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I've studied some of those stories about how people have suffered and died for their faith. And yet I'm always amazed that they always continue to keep gathering back together and keep gathering back together. And this, it just, the persecution makes them stronger. So what is that? What is that bond? When they don't, and listen, you don't have to. That's truth. So then why do we? Why do they? Because they understand. I mean, we just, where else would we be? I think it's what Peter said when Jesus was saying, are you going to leave me too? And he says to Jesus, where would we go? You have the answers. You have the keys to eternal life. Where else would we go? And I, I read the story about this church, and my own faith is encouraged. My own faith is just energized this week when I read that. I thought, man, look at how God, look at how his church is going to show up, Satan, in this way. Look at how his church is going to show the world, no, 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 you can't stop this movement. Because Jesus said the gates of hell won't stop his church. You think some guy with a gun is going to stop his church? Man, we got more power than that. We've got more equip equipping than that, more empowering than that. And through its Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit God gives us, we can keep pushing forward and keep moving on. Nothing will stop his church. So this morning, this week, I was first and foremost so encouraged by the testimony of this church, the testimony in Christ, that they're not staying home out of fear or concern for safety, but coming together as the body of Christ to support and worship with one another. And I have to ask myself this question. I asked it this week, and I'm not, this is not a guilt thing. This is an honesty thing. This is what God's been convicting me about this week and just making me think through. Would I do the same? And it's great to applaud them. It's great to say, hey, good for you guys. Right? Look at their faith. Oh, man, way to go, guys. But then we got to turn that mirror around and say, okay, would I do that? I get up this morning. And go back. I'm not saying it's easy. I don't know any of these people personally. I guarantee you it wasn't easy. The senior pastor that's going to stand and give a message today who lost his daughter a week ago. I guarantee you it's not easy. But that's the beauty of his gospel. Is when it's not easy and it's difficult and it's hard we have this inner strength that starts to rise up, and we have no idea how powerful it really is. And it'll push you and drive you and motivate you and keep you and watch over you, and you'll see God do great things through your life. And all that you can say at the end of it is, this wasn't me, it was all him. we got to praise God. Because, listen, not one of these people in this church are going to go, yeah, I'm here under my own strength, my own, you know, my own abilities. And I guarantee you their hearts are broken as ours would be. But one thing we have to be careful of is responding to this in a selfish motivation. And I'm just being honest with you guys because I had a couple of thoughts when I first heard this news driving actually to the church last Sunday night. And I heard some people talking in the lobby about it. And it just was kind of interesting to hear the back and forth of the conversation. And to hear kind of some of the things they were saying as things I was thinking. When I first heard this, a verse, the first verse 
that came to my mind that we're not going to get into this morning, but I encourage you to jot it down. We're going to apply this verse at the end of the message. The first verse that came to mind was Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. That says that we need to remember those in chains or those in the body of Christ that are suffering adversity as though we are as well. The author of Hebrews says that, listen, when you hear about a Christian being in prison for their faith or someone in the church suffering or going through some kind of a struggle or a trial, we identify and we come alongside and we may not even be physically with them, but we say, no, we're in these bonds together. We're in these chains together because we're all part of the body of Christ. And if one part suffers, we all suffer. And part of our problem in the American church is we've disconnected from the global church. We've started talking about brothers and sisters are being persecuted as though something distant and disconnected and though it doesn't really impact us. We know about it, we think about it, but it's not impacting us. But man, the Bible says we need to fall on our face and cry out to God and say, God, watch over our brothers and sisters in Iran, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in North Korea. These churches that are gathering together no matter what the political climate is and saying, we don't care what you tell us. We're going to gather together as a church. We don't care what laws you remove or what laws you put in place. We are the body of Christ and we will always be the body of Christ. And that's not going to stop us. You want to kill us? Kill us. You want to take our lives, take our lands, take our money, take our children? It doesn't matter because we are the body of Christ. Just start reading a little bit. And I'm not saying you need to like overload yourself with this and start feeling guilty because of the freedoms you have. That's not the point of it. The point of it is, I think the more we understand how, how much suffering there is in the church today, man, we will greatly appreciate the freedoms we have. I've said it before. I'm always amazed when people say, you know, we got to be careful, brother. There, one day, one day there's going to be a law. They're going to take this from us. And my comment to most people in my own mind, sometimes I say it out loud if I know them well. And if I don't know them well, I just say, yeah, well, it's the world we live in. Is man, are we utilizing this enough that we would even notice it's missing if they took it away? Oh, brother, they're going to take our Bibles away. Where's your Bible? When was the last time you just got on your knees and just started reading through the scriptures just to know him? Some people, they come to church and they're like, oh man, where's my Bible? I haven't seen it since last Sunday. This is not a guilt. This is, this is real stuff here. Man, we need to appreciate the freedoms we have and understand that not everyone in this world shares those freedoms. And we need to believe God's word when it says we need to be in chains with them. It doesn't mean we give up our freedoms. It means we get on our knees for them. We support them. We encourage them however we can. And this is no different. Even though the motivation for what happened in Texas was not one of anti-God, anti-church. You know, I hate Jesus, so I'm going to go shoot up a church. That wasn't the motivation as far as we can tell. It's irrelevant because it still was something that Satan used to try to tear down the church of Christ. And he's wrong. Because it didn't work. It's never going to work. 2,000 years, it hasn't worked. It's not going to start working now. And let me say this. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you might say, oh, man, I'm not getting saved. It sounds like this is a rough road. Let me tell you something. You're right. But it's a great road, too. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said there's two paths in life. And at the end of which, there's two very different outcomes. The one path is wide and popular and crowded. And there's all kinds of people that are on this wide path. 
And they all think when they get to the end of it, they're going to be fine. But the Bible says that wide road leads to destruction and an eternity in a place called hell. But then there's this narrow road. And he says, blessed be those that find, few are those that find it. So how do we get on this narrow road, which is cover, brings blessing and eternal life and peace and joy and happiness in his heaven forever? The Bible's clear. It's not about being a certain denomination. It's not about doing good works. It's not about being baptized at this age or that age or doing this work or that work. It's about trusting solely in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's saying, I by faith received the gift of salvation. Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and rose again for my sins. I confess my sins. I believe he did that for me, and I submit and surrender my life to him. And I follow him as my Lord and Savior. And that's the narrow road. And let me challenge you, encourage you, plead with you, and beg with you. It will be pitted with potholes and obstructions and struggles and trials. But it's still the narrow road. Road And the outcome is still the same. So I plead with you, take the narrow road. Listen, both people, both groups suffer struggles and trials in this life. I'd much rather suffer trials and struggles with Christ than without him. And so what's the point, man? Some people think the gospel is just get saved and have a good life. Get saved and your bank account will be really full. I've been saved since I was 16. I'm still waiting on that promise. <laughs> Might have something to do with my career choice. I don't know. I always tell Sandra, when we got married, she was going to go be an elementary ed teacher, who obviously they make tons of money. So I was like, this is, we're going to be set. And then we, you know, we had Anthony, and then she's like, I think I'm going to stay home. And I was like, I was supposed to be living off of you. Like, what's going on here? Like, I don't understand. How did you make this decision? Like, I didn't, did we pray about this? Like, I didn't hear no direct communication from God on this. Well, listen, in our culture today, man, we've minimized the gospel. We've made it this genie in a lamp kind of a thing where it's just like, I get saved, I rub the lamp, and God gives me my three wishes. And it's, man, it's not like that. Bible says that, man, if you receive Christ, you have his Holy Spirit of God, his peace, which passes all understanding, access to his presence through prayer, and a connection to your creator God that will last for eternity. And there's joy and peace and happiness, and the abundant life is available. But listen, Jesus didn't save you to give you a better life. He saved you to give you life. Ephesians 2. Man, we were dead, and he made us alive. Not because of our good works, but because of his grace. And then we go through this life, and as his church, in opposition to what this world stands for, and the enemy, Satan, stands for, we will see opposition and persecution. And I'm sorry that if you grew up in a church, or you've been experienced to a church or a ministry, where they told you that it was never going to be like that. I'm sorry as a pastor, and as a preacher of the word of God, because they lied to you. And I'm sorry for that. But listen, God is in control. And he's going to work it to his glory. As we go through this situation here and understand what happened last week, if you are not a follower of Christ, you don't know him personally, I encourage you to begin to allow him to speak to your heart this morning. But I'm going to be honest with you. There are, when you get saved, you receive Christ, man, all your sins are forgiven and you have a guarantee of your eternal home in heaven with him forever. But it's not going to be a perfect life. There's not always going to be everything working out the way you want it, how you want it, when you want it. 
But it's okay because you're in Christ. I want to look at the second verse, the second passage that came to my mind this week when I was working through this because I believe that we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. But the second thing I want to do is think about how do we respond to this? How do we understand this in context? Look at Philippians 1 and verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brothers, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident, growing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The Apostle Paul writing to the church and encouraging that the things, the things that happened to him in his life was for the furtherance of the gospel. Every struggle, every trial, every persecution, he says all of it was for the advancing of the gospel. Quick question, how is that even possible? Think about this for a moment. How is it possible that being beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, persecuted, left for dead, how in the world can that advance the gospel of Christ? How can that be used by God? I want to walk through this and see how we can be of the same mindset, how we can prepare for tragedy in this life. And this is not just about last week even. This is about life. But how can we prepare for tragedy, for situations, for persecutions, for struggles, and find the strength and the resolve that is evident in our brothers and sisters in Texas? The testimony that's ringing out from there about grace, about God's presence. Man, it's amazing stuff to hear how God is moving The Apostle Paul says, all this stuff is for the glory of God. These guys in Texas are brothers and sisters. All this, God can use this. Man, how is that possible? So let's walk through this and see how we can be prepared as well and have the same mindset. First and foremost, and if you're taking notes, the first thing you want to jot down is you know that you are God's. Know that you are God's. That means know that he is yours and you are his. That he says you are his sons and daughters. We live this life. We walk in this world as the sons and daughters of God. If we know him as our savior. If you've trusted in Christ, you have a relationship with him as your heavenly father. That means that no matter what happens in this life, he is yours and you are his. And you can take that peace and that comfort and live and be in function in that mindset. Nothing that happens in our life will ever take away your relationship with Christ. No one, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And that's what was attempted last Sunday by the enemy, trying to separate and divide and destroy the church. And again, we realized, no, 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 Christ, if anything, is stronger in that church. I want to look at the Apostle Paul's description He says in this verse, the things. Let's just look at some of the things that he records for us. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, just look at some of the things that he's referring to here that he says was for the good of the gospel, the advancing of the gospel. 
Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth in verse 23 of chapter 11. Again, talking about the things that he went through as a follower of Christ. It says here, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, more above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Verse 27, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh unto me upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying here? He's saying, listen, you guys going through a rough time? You got some situations you're running into? Let me tell you from experience. He's basically saying, I've been there, I've done there, I've been there, done that, and I've got the t-shirt. I've, I've done it. I've done it. Man, just look at that list for a second. Man, beaten this many times, imprisoned more often, this happened and that happened. And he says, all of it, all the things that happened to me in this world, because I am his, God can use to advance his kingdom, to advance his gospel. Paul understood that those things did not mean that God wasn't with him. In fact, it was evidence that he was able to endure these things because God is with him. How in the world do you go through all the things that the Apostle Paul went through? And by the way, the Apostle Paul was not a super Christian that was so rare among the church. Hebrews talks about chapter 11, the hall of faith, if you will. Hebrews 11 names, or names a bunch of people that did great things for God. And then there's this group of believers that aren't even named that go through great struggle, great persecution, great trials. We don't even read their names, but the Bible says the world wasn't worthy of them. See, the Apostle Paul wasn't this super rare, unique Christian that only he went through these things. The Bible seems to indicate that when you follow Christ to various degrees and various situations, it's not all the same, but there will be persecution to some degree. There will be struggle and strife as you follow Christ. So what do we do in response to that? We know whose we are. We know we are sons and daughters of God. We walk in this world as his children, but also... We leave this world as sons and daughters of God. When our time in this temporal world ends, we may not know when it will end or when that time will come, but we know what awaits us. The Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I wanted to read a quote here from something I read back in, way back in college. Many of you have read this, I'm sure, but John Bunyan wrote in his famous Pilgrim's Progress. He says this, he says, I seek a place that can never be destroyed, one that is pure, and that fades not away, and it is laid up in heaven and safe there to be given at the time appointed to them that seek it with all their hearts. Not only do we walk in this world as sons and daughters of God, we leave this temporal world as sons and daughters of God. A key term that Bunyan pointed out is the term or the phrase, a time 
appointed. See, only God knows when that time will come. We don't have any guarantee of the future. We have a guarantee of this moment right now. So what do we do when we have no idea when that time will come, when that appointment will show up? We trust that we are the sons and daughters of God. He is ours. We are his. And so how do we prepare for the unpreparable? How do we get ready for something like this when we have no idea when that time's coming? We first and foremost trust in his word that he is with us. That we are his. He is ours. And when that appointed time comes, we have no fear in death. We have great joy. Because as the Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is. And it's gain. Some of us as Christians are living this world as though this is all there is. We're spending so much time, resources, and energies investing in this side of heaven, completely forgetting, oh wait, this is a blurp in the eyes of eternity. Man, how are we investing in our future? How are we investing in our kingdom to come? How are we investing in his kingdom? Are we storing up treasures where moth and rust will not destroy, and robbers cannot break through and steal? Are we storing up treasures in his heaven? Or are we focused only on treasures in this world? When you heard about last week on Sunday, if you're like most people, maybe all people, the first reaction many people will have is they think about themselves. And they say, well, what about me? Am I going to church next week? Am I safe at church? What's my church doing to protect me? What's my church doing to help me? I need to be safe. I'm the focal point here. But man, all throughout Scripture, we read this mindset of the church where it's we elevate others above ourselves. And we think of them first. It doesn't mean we don't think of ourselves when the time is appropriate. But man, if your first thought was, oh, it's all about me and my safety, man, let me remind you, we need to pray for them. We need to think about them what they're going through. David Platt said something very powerful in our men's study this last study, and it just blew me away. He said, because we are Christ's and he is ours, because we follow him and we've surrendered our lives to him, our comfort and our security are no longer our concern. Now, does that mean we don't prepare? No, what it means is you trust in one who is greater. How do missionaries go to countries where it's 99 times out of 100, you could be killed just for being a Christian? How does a missionary go there? And we applaud those people like they're super Christians. No, no, no. They're just Christians who said, man, God's called me. Why would I not go? My friend Stephen in Israel who leaves his house every day not knowing if he'll see his kids again, who doesn't carry a firearm, who doesn't protect himself in any way externally, he just trusts in Jesus to guide him and to be with him in a place where he has been shot and stabbed and his father's been shot and stabbed. Their church has been firebombed. And he tells me, you know the key to successful ministry? You know the key to longevity in ministry and serving Christ? Find joy in what you're doing. And I looked at him with my jaw. Joy? How do you have joy in what you're going through? He said, because I'm Christ's and he's mine and I'm just, I'm blessed to share his gospel. And this is the mindset that we have to struggle with. I'm not saying, listen, don't take this out of context. I'm not saying you don't protect yourself. If God is giving you that conviction, go for it. What I'm saying is, 
don't just trust in that, in your ability. Man, trust in whose you are. Trust in your Savior. Trust in the God of all creation. And when that time is appointed and it comes, we cannot change it. Secondly, quickly, as we get ready to finish up here, not only do we know whose we are, but we know that God has a plan. Look at Philippians chapter 1 again in verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. That my bonds in Christ. Paul identifies his chains are in Christ. Our abiding in Christ is not just in the good times in life, but when we suffer tragedy or struggle, we remain in Christ. The fact that we are in Christ does not mean that we may not suffer. In fact, Peter says it is given to us to suffer for Christ. But it means that we never suffer without Christ's presence in our lives. As we live this life, we realize that God has a plan and a purpose for all that is entailed in our lives. We can trust that when things seem chaotic, God is in control. Let me say that again. We can trust when things are completely chaotic that God is in control. It doesn't mean that it's going to have all the answers. It doesn't mean we're going to be able to figure it all out. I was just talking to somebody this morning who said, man, I just, you know, God, come on. <laughs> give me a little more insight into what you're doing here. Come on, give me a little bit more. I just wish you would just figure this thing out real quick for me and help me figure it out. And we kind of laughed and I said, man, trusting is so hard. And it is, isn't it? I mean, isn't trusting really the hardest thing? To trust in a God you can't see, but you really can see, Right? Do you ever, can you remember a time in your life where you thought, man, God, I just want to trust you more, and then he did something physically around you to show you you can trust him by bringing somebody to you, by somebody writing you a card saying, I'm praying for you, by a phone call, by a text. You come to church, and somebody just comes to you and says, man, I just, you've been on my mind all week. How can I pray for you? And you're just floored because you knew all week you've been struggling. You didn't tell anybody but God. And this Holy Spirit worked in someone else, and they came to you in obedience to him and said, I don't know why, do you ever, you ever been on the other end of that? And God is impressing. I need to go talk to somebody, and you're like, they're going to think I'm nuts. Listen, um, I was praying yesterday, and God told me to talk to you. But it doesn't talk to me audibly. Like, I'm not crazy. I don't see stuff. I'm just saying, like, I don't hear voices in my head. I just, like, we start automatically excusing it. Like, I'm not, you know, it wasn't that. It was, you know, just I felt this urge to pray for you. Man, do me a favor. Don't excuse it. Just go up to them in obedience and say, I have no idea why I need to do this, but can I pray for you about something? And you're going to watch God just work in that person's life and in your life. Because it's amazing how whatever we go through, God doesn't author these tragedies. Let's be careful here. There's a big difference between authoring and allowing. God didn't, God didn't make this man walk into a church and shoot 26 people. He didn't make him do that. That man of his own choice did that. But here's the crazy thing. God knew it and can use it for his glory. What does Joseph say at the end of Genesis to his brothers who sold him into slavery at 17 and went to prison for 12 years and all these things that endured and these seasons of struggle? And he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God can use for good. What's the good? His good, his kingdom, his gospel. 
And I don't claim to have all the answers on this, but I'll tell you what the Bible seems to tell me is that when other individuals make decisions that hurt us or persecute us or cause us harm, when we make decisions that hurt us and cause us harm of our own volition, he can take those things when we surrender them in and use them for his glory. I don't know how he does it, but I'm so thankful he does. And what's the end result of that? What's the end result when this horrible thing turns into this beautiful thing for God's glory? We just go, and praise God. And that's it. That's what he wanted, was his glory to be known. You see, Paul sees and identifies that these chains are part of the plan of God. But he also sees something else that I want to point out here. Paul sees and identifies the result of the chains, the result of the bondage, results in a lack of fear. Look at verse 14. He says, the more this message of my chains spread throughout the palace and all of the places, verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident, growing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you know what the enemy really wants the church to go through during this last week? What the enemy wants the church communities to feel this week and in the coming weeks. And every time a tragedy like this happens where a church is targeted, he wants them to feel fear. And if you were even hesitant to come to church this morning because of fear, that's what he wants. If you're even hesitant to leave your house in the morning because, oh man, what if this? That's what he wants. Because if you are living in fear, you're not abiding in Christ. Because he says, perfect love casts out all fear. And so we don't live in fear. Paul says, the more they heard about my chains, the stronger they got. The more confidence they grew. And then what did they do with that confidence? What did they declare to the world? What did they preach to others? Not self, but what does it say? Boldness in the word. You know what that means? Man, they got passionate about this. And you know what? This time, when Paul's writing this, you preach this, it's illegal. You can go to prison, lose your life. Christianity wasn't legalized until the early 300s. During this time, early first century, you could be, I don't know, fed the lions in the Colosseum. Just for preaching this content. And they said, man, we see Paul's bond. We see it's in Christ. And we have no fear. Because if Paul is able to stand strong in Christ, we can stand strong in Christ no matter what adversity comes our way. When the church saw Paul's strength, even in chains, it gave them boldness to preach the word. So what are we hearing about our brothers and sisters in Texas right now? That God is still good and they are still turning to him because God is able And I don't know what that does for you as a follower of Christ. And again, if you don't know Christ this morning, maybe a lot of this, you're just kind of like, I'm not connecting with this. And I I understand why you're not. But let me just, again, challenge you. Receive Christ this morning. Find salvation and forgiveness of sins, the peace and the joy that comes from the Lord. But those of you that know Christ, when you hear about our brothers and sisters joining together this morning, what does that do? I don't know what it does. It just builds something inside of me, doesn't it? Like you just get fired up. And you're just like, you know what, Satan, let's do this, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever just start off a week like, let's go? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys are nodding your head. You guys are getting a bit more excited about Jesus in here. Listen, when you start a week and you hear about God doing this in this kind of a situation, 
and then Satan wants to whisper those doubts in your mind, you say, let's do this. Because I got something for you, Satan. I got some words for you here. Let me just quote some things to you. You can go over to Revelation, and guess what you're going to find out? We win. Just When Satan wants to remind you of your past or your present struggles, you just remind him of his future. Oh, that's a good one, Satan. Thanks for that. Hey, by the way, you're going to suffer in a lake of fire for eternity. Have fun with that. And you might say, you don't really talk to Satan like that. Of course I do. Man, he is a created being under my mighty Savior's hand. He is not greater than your Savior. So when he wants to whisper doubt and struggles in you, he wants to attack the church of Christ, man, we stand resolute. We stand strength. Because we don't stand for ourselves. We stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom and his glory. And I don't know what it does for you when you hear this, but I hope it gives you strength. And if you found yourself this last week giving into the temptation of fear, man, he has not given you a spirit of fear, but of a strong and a sound mind. Man, reject those emotions. Stand strong in Christ and allow the strength of our brothers and sisters to encourage you. We do not respond in fear, but we respond in faith. Some say it is foolish to merely trust in God to watch over you in this world today. We have to have other precautions and security measures and policies and procedures. You can't just trust in God. That's foolish. My argument to them is, then I'll be a fool for Jesus. Doesn't mean we don't have things in place, but listen, greater than all those things we've come up with, greater than anything I can imagine or or security things we can do, he is greater He is wiser. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust him at the end of the day. Because when I get in my car today and I drive home, I don't drive home in fear, hoping I'll make it to my house. You know what I'm exhibiting? Faith. Do you know what Sandra's exhibiting? Greater faith. (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus, please, I beseech you by your glory and your grace, you'll help me to arrive safely at home with everything intact. And just as much hair as I left the church with, right? Like, that's the goal. So, again, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying we don't do things. I'm saying this, though. Man, greater than anything you can come up with, we trust. We trust. I would rather trust in the God of all creation and his plan than my finite mind and limited perceptions. God may save from the fire. God may save through the fire. And unfortunately, or fortunately, God may allow us to go to him through the fire. Julius Palmer said in 1556, We shall not end our lives in the fire, but make a change for a better life. Why is that guy so important? Well, he's not really that important, but he was burned at the stake for his faith in 1556. And before he was killed for his faith, he said, as he was being burned alive, We shall not end our lives in the fire, but make a change for a better life. God uses even the evil intents of this world to bring about the glory. One author said it this way, and I think he said it well. It is always hard to see the purpose in the wilderness, wanderings, until they are over. We may be walking in the wilderness to some degree because we are not in our final home, his heaven and his glory But I promise you, no matter what this wilderness brings us, we trust that there is a promised land that is greater 
And we are set for that promised land, not by my works, but by his grace and his glory, to honor him and praise him forever and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I pray that this morning that we would gather together as the body of Christ, united, not in fear, but in faith, trusting that God has a plan, trusting that we are his, and that no matter what this world or the enemy Satan throws at us, we will not fear, we will not shriek back, we will in fact get stronger and advance for his kingdom by the glory of God. I want to ask us to pray for those in the body of Christ in Texas who are meeting together this morning in a building not their own. And I thought about that, and it wasn't the same situation, but I thought about what we had to go through meeting in a different building and how different that was and how amazing that was to be the church. Our brothers and sisters aren't able to meet in their building this morning, but they're meeting together in any case, worshiping the God who has never changed. The building's not theirs, but the church is theirs. It's Christ's. It's their community. But let me encourage you with this as well. Let's not just pray for them. We get so kind of central focused that let's not pray just for them, but be committed, being committed to finding out more about our brothers and sisters all over the world who are persecuted for their faith. Let's pray we will learn from their boldness and their passion and their zeal for the kingdom of God. You can go to Voice of the Martyrs, very different re- various resources. You can find more about these individuals that are suffering for their faith. This is not stuff that only happened in the 1500s. This is stuff happening today. And so, yes, Texas, this tragedy in our eyes, we're going to pray for them. But we're also going to pray for the church, the global church, and pray for strength. But also, we're going to commit that it's not just a today thing. We're going to learn from our brothers and sisters, and we're going to find out how we can be stronger in this world. Not letting fear win, but watching faith triumph. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to bow in prayer. And I'm going to have the praise band come. And I'm not going to speak for very long. But with your heads bowed, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you two questions. One, do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Again, this morning, this message was very much kind of geared towards those that know Christ. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ, then I want to ask you, would you open your heart and your mind to what Christ wants to do in your life? Would you come and pray and bend a knee and say, Lord God, I don't, I don't know you as my Savior. I've never personally accepted you as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. But I pray that I would do that today. I pray that I would call on your name, confess my sins, believe you died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again, and give you my life, give you my everything, that I would follow you. If you've not done that this morning, maybe you want to do that this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart and you want to follow Christ. You want to experience the joy and the peace and the love that comes from knowing him and the guarantee that when you leave this world, you will leave as a son and daughter of God, guaranteed an eternal place of joy and rest. So if that's you this morning, then I would ask that you would receive him, whether they're in your seats or here at the altar. But maybe you're here and you're a follower of Christ and you've been kind of back and forth on this whole thing. Maybe fear has started to rise up in you and you've started to give in to some of that. Maybe you'd come and pray and say, God, I pray that you would cast out all the fear. Give me wisdom, yes. Help me to be wise as serpents in this world to make decisions that you are leading me to make. Take precautions where I need to take precautions. But Lord, 
I pray greater than all that, that I would trust in you because you are trustworthy. I am yours and you are mine. You have a plan and a purpose. I don't want to submit to that. So maybe you would come and pray that prayer this morning, or maybe you want to come and pray and say, as the body of Christ, we're just going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Texas. We're going to pray for what God is going to do in their lives. We're going to pray that God will strengthen them and continue to encourage them and bless them and use them for his kingdom, for his glory. But also for our brothers and sisters all over the world, we're going to pray for them and ask God to do a great work in their lives as we learn from them boldness and courage as we stand for Christ right here in MLA City, in Goodland Township, in Lapeer County. Father, may you bless now this time. May you be glorified in all these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you would like to, I invite you to come and bend a knee and pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world, but specifically Texas. Will you come and pray as the church ask God to do a great work and that we would learn from our brothers and sisters as well? Amen. Amen.